You may open your Bibles to Psalm 18. Okay, history review. What happened on September 1st, 1939? Germany invaded Poland. And we learned a new B word. Blitzkrieg. As the Polacks got their carts out there behind their horses and their rabbit guns trying to take on Stuka dive bombers and German tanks. And they rolled across uh, Poland in just a few weeks, a couple of weeks. Then they took out France about as quickly. That was 1939, opening up World War II. That song that you just sang was written in 1939 at the commencement of World War II when the whole world was being shaken by this major conflict that involved, that was going to involve us one way or another, directly or indirectly. And yet, we're in Beulah land. Because as part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and in His church, in the book of Isaiah, it's called Beulah land, which means the married land. We're married to the Most High God and His Son Jesus Christ. And though that great war shook this planet and shook this earth in so many ways, 60 60 million lives were lost, a nearly untold amount of destruction were married to the Lord. And properly understood, you know, we don't have such a large event facing us right now in the same way that they did then, but the song takes on more value when you can be feasting while the world is shaking and the world's fearful because we're the married land of God in His church. And He will take care of us. He has taken care of us. All glory to Him. Psalm 18. Almighty God, Most High, I thank Thee for the privilege, the undeserved privilege of sharing your son David's psalm about your great deliverances in his life. Bless us now in a simple way that more in this assembly might love this psalm that you have doubled to us in the Bible and that we would live with the same kind of confidence, the same kind of thankfulness, the same kind of righteousness and the same kind of zeal to praise Thee as did our brother David. In Jesus' name, who is the Son of David, I thank Thee and ask Your mercy and blessing. Amen. Amen. I don't want to make this complicated. I just want you to love Psalm 18. Amen. Let me remind you about David. It tells us in 1 Samuel 13 that God wanted a man after his own heart. Acts chapter 13 tells us that David was that man. Saul was not that man. Samuel got the privilege of telling Saul that God has chosen a neighbor of yours that's better than you. To hear those words from God would be pretty rough, but they were true. God revealed David's life experiences and his special heart to us more than the next ten characters in the Bible. We know so much about David. We know his heart because of these Psalms. We know his life because of First and Second Samuel and First Kings and First Chronicles. There's so much told to us about David. If you want to have the heart after, like the man who had a heart after God's own heart, then you should love his Psalms. It's his heart. He was quite the melancholy at times. As he would reflect on God leaving him, as he would reflect on his sins, and at other times praising him passionately for his great deliverances and his greatness and glory. He loved to worship the Lord. I want you all to love to worship the Lord. This is part of higher ground. is to wanting to, to get closer to the Lord and worship and praise him in a way that is different and above others. And I would like all of you wanting to excel that way. And I want to excel that way. Psalm 18 fits by God's providential arrangement exactly what I preached this morning. Because it's going to show us God delivering David. 
over and over again. David was a man's man. The Psalms tell us about his prayers, his praise, his confessions of sin, his curses on his enemies, and much thanksgiving come from his pen. Though he was God's favorite, David had a lot of opposition and trouble in his life, some by his own doing, and other trouble by God's doing. His enemies included Saul. Saul chased him for many years, persecuted him, threatened him with the whole army of Israel. He had to live among the Philistines. Think of David, who killed Goliath, living in Ziklag and other places, Gath, among the Philistines. How about Absalom, his own son? Won the hearts of the nation away from him while he was busy with the affairs of state and then gathered the army together to chase David out of Israel. Think about the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, and others anywhere between the river Euphrates and the Sinai Peninsula. Because under David, he expanded the kingdom of Israel to its largest extent. He thought big for God. That's why I've given you the words from 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 5 that he wanted to do something exceeding magnificent for the Lord. I've also got an outline on the website entitled For More About the Heart of David. You can learn about his heart and how the different things he did that were different from ordinary men that made him special. That's a few reminders about David. A little bit of general information about this psalm. David composed it, and he told us in the first verse of 2 Samuel 22 where it's repeated. It's in your Bibles twice. One of our minor rules of Bible interpretation is that when God repeats Himself, we want to give that more emphasis. And so this particular psalm is in the Bible twice, 2 Samuel 22 and here in Psalm 18. This introduction, if your Bible has an introduction above the psalm, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That is a verse in Second Samuel 22, which shows us that at times God, to confirm the scribes adding their introduction, it was inspired in this particular case. David had defeated all his enemies, as it tells us in the introduction here and in the first verse in 2 Samuel 22. Now what else did David do in his life when he had defeated all his enemies? He sat in his house and realized that he had a fixed, permanent dwelling place and God was being worshipped in a tent So he called Nathan in and said, Nathan, I want to build a temple for the God of Israel to dwell in. And Nathan said, do all that's in your heart. But then the Lord told Nathan, no, go and tell my servant and my son David that I don't want him to build it because he's a bloody man. I'll let his son build it. But I'll build him a house. Remember that wonderful exchange between God and David? Same time. So, At this time in David's life, this psalm is looking back. There are future tense verbs in it, but it's looking back at the deliverances that God had saved him from all his enemies. But at the same time, his heart is, now that I don't have to be fighting all the time, I'm going to build God a house. And I wish, and I pray, and I'm your pastor for this reason, that we would all have that kind of a desire that we would look back and say, thank you, Lord, for where you've brought me, but I want to do something exceeding magnificent for you in the rest of my life. I want to burn myself out for you. I want to elevate your praise. I want to lift up your glory in any way that I can. We don't go build him a house made of stones and timbers, but we can build this church by its living stones, and you can build your soul to be a valuable living stone in this temple. That's my desire for you. That's why I'm in Psalm 18 and other reasons. It was composed, this psalm before you, Psalm 18 was composed in conjunction with his ambition to build God a magnificent 
temple. It's quoted in the New Testament in Romans 15 and verse 9. Verse 49 and 50 is quoted in the New Testament. There's a possible quotation in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13, the words, in Him will I put my trust. But since those words are spoken in other places in the Old Testament, I uh, don't get as excited about that one. Jesus Christ is in it. As we concluded at verses 49 and 50, it's going to make a short reference to the Lord Jesus Christ as the seed of David. This psalm was intended as a song. So when we sing parts of it from 478 in our Burgundy hymnals, we should know that we are fulfilling God's inspiration of David to write a song. David loved public worship. David wrote the songs. David invented the, mu- the instruments. David organized the musicians and the singers. David was a praise and worship leader like never before. They used his instruments and the courses of men and women to sing and to praise and the trumpeters for many reigns of many kings. Because David loved to worship the Lord and I hope you do. How can you benefit by looking at Psalm 18? I hope that you can copy the intimate and personal way that David spoke about his God. I hope that you will be lifted up by the incredible rescue that God worked for David over and over. He can rescue you. I hope that you can learn the confidence you can have by personal righteousness. Personal, practical righteousness. God rewards it, as you'll see. He'll recompense it to you. I want to build your faith that God can deliver you from any circumstances. I hope that you will enjoy the sublime and grand language of victory that exceeds almost any other passage in the Bible. He was very creative. David was a poet, along with being a lion killer and a giant killer. And that comforts me. When men are only poets, you got to be careful. Oh, yes. But David was a man's man. And his poetry is just magnificently glorious in Psalm 18. I hope that you will learn that prophets use similitudes so that we can ignore C.I. Schofield that everything is to be taken literally. I hope that you will be moved to greater love of God for His goodness to you also by looking back and thinking about all the deliverances you've had. Everyone in here has been afraid before. You've been perplexed before. You've been in situations that you did not know what was going to happen. You did not see your future clearly. You thought that you were really messed up. You didn't know if you would ever be delivered. And you know we've been in those situations more than once. More than twice if we're old enough. More than thrice. But God's delivered us. And God delivered David. I want you to love Psalm 18 and its 50 verses. I want you to learn well that God treats men according to to their own practical works of righteousness. Okay, look at it. Can you see the the digit 1 and the digit 8? It's Psalm 18. Out of 150 psalms, it has 50 verses. It was written as a song. It was written when David had defeated all his enemies and he wanted to look back and thank God for having delivered him. It's in the Bible twice. It says in that introduction here, which is in the verse in 2 Samuel, that it was David the servant of the Lord. Did David have any other office at this time? He was king of Israel. But guess what he liked being known as? The servant of the Lord. Is that a lofty title to anyone here? A servant of the Lord. That should be the loftiest title that we could want for our lives. And we should be able to say with David, I don't know why God made me king. I'm just thankful to be the servant of the Lord. And of course, David executed his office well, but he was thankful to be the Lord's servant. Looking at this psalm, and I have tried diligently to divide it in a way that would help you understand its flow. I hope this helps. In verses 1 through 3, There is a definite introduction and declaration of David opening up this psalm of worship. 
Remember, in 2 Samuel 22, you have another verse that tells you when it was written, why it was written, um, and it's inspired over there in the uh, text of the Word of God. Okay, introduction and declaration. If you make little marks in your Bible, you want to make, make want to mark after verse 3 and before verse 4. In verses 4 through 6, and you read this last evening, I hope, in verses 4 through 6 is a general prayer against his enemies, asking God to help him. Now, it embodies all of his prayers. He prayed many times over many years against many different enemies in many dire circumstances. But it's all summarized down as one in verses 4 through 6 as he describes the sorrows of death and his calling upon the Lord. Then in verses 7 through 19 is the general answer to his general prayer. Verses 7 through 19 describes God delivering him in very grandiose, sublime, majestic language. Then in verses 20 through 24, David lists his character in five verses. And and overall and in general, God rewarded David and delivered him because David was a righteous man. And it is so comforting for us. If you have sins in your past, if you've confessed them and forsaken them, forget them. Forget them. David is going to say some things that are almost hard for us to read, but overall and in general, David was a very righteous man. When he was confronted for the greatest sin in his life, and Nathan stuck a bony finger in his face and said, Thou art the man. Did David excuse himself? Did David call him out of order? David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And it's blown out. Yes, David had some practical repercussions from it during his life, but he could still say this. That's verses 20 through 24. Verses 25 through 29 are God's promises of general blessings for righteous character if we're like David. 25 through 29 are general blessings. Verses 30 and 31 are God's character as deliverer of his people. Verses 32 through 45 are God's deliverances of David detailed. Again. Verses 46 through 49 is a worshipful summary of deliverances. That's where we get the words, the Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock. Because David is bringing his psalm to a conclusion, and he gets into the worship mode of just wanting to summarize it with praise to God. And then verse 50 is his conclusion, and it has a prophecy of Christ by mentioning to his seed forevermore, because David knew that God's promise to him for the sure mercies of David were all through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that is Psalm 18. That's a little outline for you. Let's read the first section. Psalm 18. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Now he had already been saved from his enemies, but if there were any enemies to arise in the future, David knew where his salvation was and how to obtain it. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. This is David, knowing that God is worthy to be praised knowing that he would call upon him. But I like that first verse. Psalm 18 and verse 1 is not in 2 Samuel 22. It was added later by David or by a scribe. It is totally inspired to introduce the worship of God by this psalm. But those words are precious in verse 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. It is so personal. I will love thee, not we will love thee, not I will love him. It's first and second person. I will love thee. Are you committed to to say that today? With me. With David. And to live it. David lived it. I love to go find where it says, as he encouraged all the princes to help his son, 
make sure that the tabernacle, that the temple was a glorious temple indeed. It says, and David gathered with all his might before his death. Leading up to his death, though his powers were declining, with all his might he gathered to build that temple. Let us use our might, though it may be declining, for the glory of God's temple. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. David knew where all his strength came from. And he recognizes that his God is the Lord Jehovah by that word. In your King James Bibles, it has L-O-R-D, and it's all in capitals. When that Lord is in all capitals, it is the Hebrew tetragrammaton for Jehovah. I am that I am. Pulling all the vowels out of it so that it was not pronounced. It was the description of the God that met Moses in the burning bush and said, My name is I am that I am. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And then he goes on and lists eight things in verse 2 of, that are his personal possession. And they're beyond any doctrinal or, or general intent. They're personal things. They're personal ways of describing how God had always been his helper. Look at them. The Lord is my rock, fortress, deliverer, God, strength, buckler, horn, and high tower. Those are military terms. David was a man of war. But David knew that when he was out fighting, it was God fighting his battles, and it was God protecting him. He will say some pretty strong things about his own efforts, but he gives all the glory to God as he opens up this psalm. And he says that in the future, he will be calling upon the Lord in that third verse, and that Lord is worthy to be praised because he will deliver him from any future enemies. I don't want to, I just want you to love this psalm. Where do you go when you open the Bible? When you need to be encouraged, when you're frightened of something, when you just want to be lifted up by praise, there's a, there's many psalms that you can go to, but Psalm 18 is special. It's in the Bible twice. And it's at a particular point in David's life that we are told about. Many psalms we are not told what was the exact occasion that initiated or caused the writing of that psalm. This one we do. Okay, verses 4-6 through are his general prayer for God's help against his enemies. Here's his description of what it was like in his life many times. But he wraps them into one general prayer. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry came before Him even into His ears. That's a wonderful comfort that when you when you are alone in your prayer closet, when you're alone in your car, when you're alone in your bedroom, when you're alone in your office and you're down in your chair, and you're down on your knees where you ought to be sometimes, and you call upon the Lord, it gets into His temple. It comes before Him. It comes into His ears. He hears it. And so David describes that when he had all these sorrows and threats of dying around him, he would find help by calling upon the Lord. Verse 4 and verse 5 compared together, look at the first clause in each verse to get a definition of the word hell as it's often used in the Old Testament especially. Verse 4, the sorrows of death compassed me. Verse 5, the sorrows of hell compassed me about. When hell is used in the Bible like this, it's referring to death and the grave. When it is prophesied of the Lord Jesus Christ, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. He didn't go to the lake of fire, but his body was in the grave. Just we got to go on. That's just right there for you if you're comparing these verses as we go down through it. When you're distressed, what do you do? You're distressed because you are not as passionate about the Lord as you have been. You are distressed because your marriage isn't what it should be. You're distressed about your children. You're distressed about our government. What should you do when you're distressed? In my distress, 
I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. That's what you should do. Go pray about it. Beg God to help you. Tell Him, I am miserable with my spiritual life right now. My marriage is not what it should be. This nation is falling apart. My kids are giving me grief. Lord, help me. Do you want to see a comet in the daytime? By faith. Do you want to see Him riding and harnessing the clouds of heaven and coming to your rescue? It's There's what you should do. I know this is so simple. And if you want to ask me for my resignation after this is over, that's okay. I don't, want to, I don't want to bury you in all the bark of these trees. I just want you to see the great big tree called Psalm 18. Right. And know that when you're in distress, there's something you can do because the God of David is your God. Amen. And He's our God. Verses 7 through 19. What happens when a man in distress calls upon the Lord and the Lord hears him? Now, what does it take for the Lord to hear you? Have your sins confessed and pray with some fervency. Pop Psalm 18 out and pray right down through it. Tell him that you will love him and that he is your strength. He'll hear. Here's the answer. My favorite words. Open verse 7. They are my favorite words from this psalm. You may think that they're verse 29, but that's second or third. My favorite words are verse 7. Then the earth shook. When did the earth shake? When he called upon the Lord and cried unto his God. The earth shook. God turned the world upside down for David. He shook the place. And now I'm going to read through a very sublime, majestic passage of Scripture of a great poet using great creativity by God's inspiring power. This is the picture God wants us to have of a man who's got enemies on every side, does not know what to do, so he calls upon the Lord And God bows the heavens and comes down to him. He brings heaven down to earth so that God is with David. And this is how he describes it. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. Why was he wroth? There were people picking on David. When there's people picking on you, and you call upon the Lord, He gets wroth. That is very angry. He is going to defend you. That is exciting. Because He was wroth. He shook the earth because they were picking on His son David. And you are a son of God. Trust Him. Believe these verses. Why is this in the Bible? Why do we have the Bible for? Right here. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. He was wroth. Okay, now listen to this description. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and came down. And darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub, and did fly. Yea, He did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed. Hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, He sent out His arrows, and scattered them, and He shot out lightnings, and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at Thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Thy nostrils. He sent from above, He took me, He drew me out of many waters, He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. 
He delivered me because he delighted in me. And amen. What wonderful language. Now we could stop at various places in here and picture in our minds this terrible churning storm with clouds and rain and hailstones and bolts of lightning and the Lord coming down in that great demonstration of power that when we feel the concussions of that thunder, we know that there is immense power available to the God of the universe and He was coming down for David and this is the way He described Him. I don't know what animals you, what large beasts you've ever seen in the morning when they're working. I have seen racehorses in the morning when it is zero degrees and they are running around a track outside of Ortonville, Michigan. And listen, out of their nost- their nostrils are opened up like the air intake on a 1970 GTO. <laughs> their nostrils are opened up like a jet engine. But they are blasting out vapor as they run around in such cold temperature. It's just an impressive sight. I should have some... Well, never mind. I should have some children that might remember that. But as you go down through these verses, these are word pictures just to encourage us that God is a great help. And He comes in this magnificent, glorious, powerful way like a storm does. He's riding on the clouds. He's coming on the back of a cherub. He's got one of those wonderful cherubim that are around His throne as His horse. And He comes to us. He He bows the heavens down. He came so that he was right down with David. Where are your enemies? Let me at them. In effect. The channels of the waters. He blows the waters away so you can see everything that is there. He exposes everything. It's called the discovery of the foundations of the world at thy rebuke. At God's rebuke, the, the, the bottom of the sea is exposed by blowing everything out of the way. Because it's God that has come down. And He sent from above. He took me, verse 16, He drew me out of many waters. David was in many many waters many times. But God delivered him. And God chose in this Bible to give us a man who had many enemies and was in constant fear of his life as an example to encourage us in this psalm. So when you're afraid, go to Psalm 18. Call upon the Lord in verses 4-6. through And if you're trusting Him, wait, wait on the Lord and the earth will shake. He has never failed me. He'll never fail you. He never failed David. I love the Lord. I will love Thee, O Lord. I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. Do you love these words? You say, well, it's so dramatic and so extreme and so ridiculous to to read those descriptions. God doesn't have nostrils. He doesn't have a mouth. Hailstones and coming down at the same times as coals of fire. Well, why don't you visualize lightning and hail at the same time and one tremendous storm? Enjoy these descriptive phrases. Okay, we got to get to the next section. This is not to be long. This is to cause you to love this chapter. This morning I preached from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8, marvel not at the matter. What was the cure for marveling not at the matter? Clause 4. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth. But if you want to get a little more expansive and get a little more personal, he that is higher than the highest is my God, is my fortress, is my shield is my buckler, is my son, he is my everything, and he will come down and turn this world upside down for me when I need him. And I want you to think that way and to pray that way about this psalm and use this psalm that way. This is why it's in the Bible. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. This psalm should give you hope. David was hopeless many times. It looked hopeless. He's in a cave, surrounded by Saul's army. So Saul comes into the cave, takes his weapons off, covers his feet, and David's standing two feet away in the shadows of that cave. 
And David had a chance to glorify God and say, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And then Saul goes on out. I mean, over and over and over. Do you think he was whispering a prayer? When he saw the army coming up around that mountain, and then Saul and his bodyguards coming up toward the cave that David was in, was there a prayer going up? There were prayers going up, and this is a description of what happened. And the Lord shaking the earth happened in different ways at different times for David. But let's quickly get to verses 20 through 24 because David is going to say some things that should encourage us. Now look at verse 19. Verse 19 is God's deliverance. Section 3. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. We know that the Bible teaches us delighting in God. But to have God delighting in us, do you have anything alive inside you that would like God to delight in you? Then love Psalm 18. When David doesn't have anything else to do and he can sit down and really compose one, this is what he does. Embrace this psalm. He delighted in me. Okay, why did he delight in you, David? Verse 20 through 24. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. In God's eyesight, David doesn't care about yours. In God's eyesight, David was righteous. When it says in James 5.16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Well, who is righteous? There's none righteous. No, not one in any legal sense of us ever being able to be accepted into heaven by our righteousness. But there is a practical righteousness that each of you and I can have. And it's like David. And God chose David and revealed 10 or 12 sins of David for us to know that David wasn't perfect, yet David could talk like this and God accepted it. When the Bible says that Zechariah... Zacharias and Elizabeth were blameless before all the law. Were they truly blameless? Or is it the way God looks at things through His eyes? He is merciful and He forgives. And when we confess, He blots out all our sins and puts them behind our back as far as the east is from the west in the deepest sea. This is David's general character. When David was confronted, David would say, I have sinned against the Lord. And if you want to hear that expanded, go read Psalm 51. What David meant with the words, I have sinned against the Lord, is contained in Psalm 51. And David was still God's favorite even after the event with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. These are wonderful verses to encourage you. We, I cannot spend any more time on them, but they are stuck here. And I want you to remember this part to encourage you that even though you have sins, if you've confessed them and forsaken them, God washes them away. And it's in God's eyesight that counts. It's God that you want to come down and rescue you, not someone else. And so if in His eyesight David was righteous, righteous, that's all that matters. Just for your entertainment and comfort. Let me list 12 sins of David. Adultery. Murder. Conspiracy to commit murder, collateral deaths around Uriah the Hittite, royal polygamy condemned by Deuteronomy 17, no feast of booths during his reign, Nehemiah chapter 8, poor fathering of Adonijah, 1 Kings 1, violated the due order with the ark, 1 Chronicles 15, sinful anger against Nabal, 1 Samuel 25, numbered Israel against correct advice from Joab, 2 Samuel 24, obsession about Absalom, and did not punish Amnon for raping his sister. Are you kidding me? That's the man you call the sweet psalmist of Israel? 
according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. I don't have time to go through all 12 and show you extenuating circumstances except for four of them. The adultery, the murder, the conspiracy to commit murder, and the collateral deaths. God held those against David in some respects, but he was still his favorite. The others had extenuating circumstances. God turned David over to Satan to number Israel because God had a matter against Israel. And God got his vengeance on Israel by killing 70,000 men, though he used David. He never held that sin against David. He did a lot of things with that particular sin, but we don't have time for that. I wanted you to see those ver- What kind of confidence? Look at the confidence that David had in verses 20 through 24. This is when all of his enemies have been defeated, so you know that Bathsheba happened before this. You can figure that out, right? All his enemies have been defeated. How can we ever have verses 20 to 24 being true of us? By confessing our sins in the way that David confessed them in Psalm 51. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then to go forward in all your might to serve the Lord, showing by faith and confidence in Him that He has forgiven you. If you go forward grieving, moaning, whining, feeling sorry for yourself, that means you deny the great grace and mercy of God and the full sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Do not expect the earth to shake for you. Okay, let's go to the next section. The general blessings for righteous character. Verse 25. See, David has explained that he was rewarded in verses 20 through 24 for his righteous character ordinarily, most of the time. 98% of the time, what was David doing? Praising the Lord. From when to when? From when he was a boy, so young he was forgotten by his family, to his deathbed. On his deathbed, what is he still talking about? God hath made with me an everlasting covenant. But he wants to extend these blessings to you. Verse 25 through 29. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. I love verse 29. David is describing some of his military conquests, but he did it by the Lord. He could run through a troop by himself and be protected because the Lord was with him, and he could leap over a wall. You have walls in your life. You have some things holding you back and hindering you. Call upon the Lord and cry unto your God. But if you're merciful, verse 25, God will show himself merciful to you. Was David merciful? When Saul came in and covered his feet in the cave, could David have killed him? Did David have 10 or 20 reasons to kill him? Did David not kill him? What is that called when you have someone two feet from you that you could cut their head off without them knowing? Mercy. When there were 600 and only 400 could continue on to recover the stuff taken from Ziklag, and he came back and he said all 600 will share alike, even though 200 were too exhausted to go with us, what is that called? Mercy. Was he always merciful that way? Most of the time. And God showed himself merciful. We want to remember this. And with an upright man, who's described upright in Psalms, in Proverbs, who does things that are right perfectly? No. But when he doesn't and he learns that he did it wrong, he confesses it, changes, and goes on. There's upright men. And David was upright and God will be upright towards you. But if you're forward, obnoxious, naughty, wicked, hypocrite, cheating, compromising, God will be just that way to you. That's what it means in the last part of verse 26. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. You all hear me today. You all will make a choice today. You'll make a choice tomorrow. Do you want David, do you want God with you like he was with David? Or do you want God against you like he was against Saul? Saul was froward and God was froward to Saul. Nothing Saul did worked. 
God's character. Verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. Listen to David. Praise His His Lord Jehovah. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. For who is God save the Lord? Are those words familiar to you? For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? That's what we sing when we sing, I will call upon the Lord. That particular verse right there is one of them. This is the character of God. So David has shifted over to the character of God for a couple of verses. His way is perfect. What God does is perfect. The word of the Lord has been refined and purified and tried so that there is only purity in his word. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Anyone that trusts in this God will be protected. For who is God? Save the Lord. There is no God but Jehovah. Allah is not God. And who is a rock? Save our God. A rock to find on a mountain, a craggy point, a crag point of that mountain where you could put your men and where nobody could ascend up to you, a a rock, a mountain. They went to high, you wanted to fight from higher ground. And I don't mean that metaphorically right now. I mean that real, literally. Um, You wanted high ground and you wanted to be rocky. You didn't want any uh, trees or bushes or anything to hinder you. But anyway, he's our rock. He doesn't move. He's always there and he protects us. Verse 32 through 45, more details. Let me read it to you. More details of God's deliverance. It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Who led David so well in his life but God? Let me read it without comment. Verse 33. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. I'll comment a little bit. What was his favorite? What was the favorite instrument that David had when we first meet him in the Bible? A harp. A harp. He was the best in Israel that they could find. A harp. David loved worship. If David could have spent his whole life doing one thing, what would he have done? Worship. He had to fight. But who helped him learn how? Are you intimidated by some position you have? Are you intimidated by any difficulties you get into? Call upon the Lord. Cry unto your God. Look what it said. Look what David said, who was used to holding a harp and composing poetry. It says in verse 34, he teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. If you, if you get a strong enough bow, and you're trying to pull it back, you find out that you're not strong enough to really pull it back, and it is ruling you. Because you had better be very careful at that point, because if either hand lets go, some part of you is going to get hurt. But do you know what David could do? Break a steel of bo- a bow of steel. I'm just trying... The language is wonderful. Amen. The language is wonderful. Verse 35, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation... And thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. David knew he needed God's gentleness and his right hand of power, both of them. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them. Even unto the Lord. But he answered them not. Then did I beat them small as the dust before the wind. I did cast them out as the dirt in the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen. A people whom I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. The strangers shall fade away and be afraid out of their close places. 
in their hiding places, they would be afraid of David. And in their hiding places, they would be afraid of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are building toward a climax in this psalm. Now notice verse 41, that they cried even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Was was Saul a member of the church? Was Absalom a member of the church? Do you think that when Absalom saw Joab approaching, he might possibly have had some sort of a deathbed confession? Just, Just throwing out examples, but God did not hear them. Because there was no comparison between Saul and David. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord did not hear them. Even within the church, and David had enemies within the church, within the nation of Israel, God was on his side and against them, even when they cried unto David's God. That, there is so much comfort in these verses. So many things can be gathered from them. I beat them as small as the dust before the wind, and so forth. God delivered him. God will deliver you. You should give him glory and thanksgiving and praise for all the deliverances he's already worked in your life. A worshipful summary, verses 46 through 49. We sing these words. The Lord liveth. Our God is the living God. Our God is not some meteorite in the Kaaba building in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. The Lord liveth. And blessed be my rock. And let the God of my salvation be exalted. This is what David wanted to do. He wanted to praise the true and living God and to bless Him and to exalt Him. It is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me, chased out of His kingdom, restored to it by God's providential arrangement. He delivered me from mine enemies. Yea, Thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man, Saul, Doeg, Absalom, and others. Therefore, based on verses 46, 7, and 8, Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. And David is transitioning here in these final verses toward the Lord Jesus Christ, because this is quoted in Romans 15, 9 as applying to the gospel. And then his conclusion, great deliverance giveth he to his king and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David and to his seed forevermore. The seed of David is the Lord Jesus Christ and the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ is you and me. Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. Psalm 18, simple. Love it. Embrace it. Use it. Practice it. Get comfort from it. Go into the middle and find out David's righteousness and let it encourage you in your righteousness. If you're playing the hypocrite, hear me loud and clear. Verse 26 is for you, the second half. That if you want to be forward, God will be forward with you. But are you able to say the first verse of Psalm 18 and mean it? I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. He has delivered you. He has delivered me. Let us praise him like David did. Amen.